welcome to episode six. I have a guest today who's uh, Ms. Dora Modise, who is quite a veteran in the environment and sustainability space. Uh, she's a sustainability specialist over 26 years experience in the field. And she's currently the CEO of the Paper and Packaging PRO Alliance. And she has held um, a number of strategic leadership positions, both in the private sector and uh, government, having formerly served as a Deputy Director General for Natural Resource Management at the Gauteng Provincial Government. She was responsible for portfolios of environment, agriculture, rural development, and also in 2017 to 2020, she was the CEO of the Green Building Society of East South Africa, where she led low-carbon, resource-efficient, and climate-resilient transformation of the built environment sector through numerous green building certification tools and programs. Um, she was the strategic executive director uh, in, by, until January 7, 2017 for the city sustainable sustainability at the city of Tuane, where she was responsible for leading the sustainability programs. She served as a chief policy advisor for sustainable development at the Department of Environmental Affairs and has been part of spearheading the process of the development and implementation of um, the National Strategy for Sustainable Development. She holds an MBA from the University of Pretoria, or Gibbs, and a master's degree in Environment and Development Forum from the University uh, of Sussex in the UK, and a postgraduate diploma in Environmental Diplomacy, University of Geneva, Switzerland, and a first degree in Environmental Health uh, from the Tswane University of Technology. So allow me to say that she has a wide range of experience within the environment sector and sustainability. She's been involved in implementation and in policy and uh, and still at it, I would imagine. And, uh, and, and today's conversation really is to share with other women about your journey, and and also some of the things that uh, are lessons for you, as well as things that you want to share with other women. So I'm very honored to be conducting this interview and or conversation rather. And uh, and just to get us going, uh, it's quite an impressive uh, bio, and and you've been involved in a number of things. Um, and what drives you though? You know, what drives me, Pam, is just the adrenaline rush. I am, and, and you would see from a number of places I've been, um, whilst I'm a sustainability enthusiast, I am driven by constant change and constantly trying new approaches uh, towards uh, just making a difference in, in this whole environment and, and sustainability space. Um I whenever I get it, I get an impression or a feeling that I'm just maintaining the status quo because it's expected. That's what brings my my down low. So wherever I I go, I just strive to 
just look for different and new approaches and new ways of of making a difference. So I'm driven by constant change. Oh, that's that's interesting because other people fear change and they avoid change and they like doing a maintenance job. So I would, I mean, my word for it is then a trailblazer, someone who goes there into uncharted waters and 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 look for things uh, to do and to bring about a more uh, bigger change. And uh, what have been the some of the pitfalls of that? Because um, some of us are too scared. It needs to be planned and and be clearly um, choreographed before we, we 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 put our hands up. But uh, what have been, in your view, the pitfalls and maybe the advantages of just going in and effecting change? Yeah, so let me start with the pitfalls because uh, there are many. Uh, firstly, um, the risk of just being rejected um, and and viewed as, you know, like as an alien, a strange creature. So um, mm. I have had my, my hands bent uh, a number of times where, I would have wanted things to change much faster than the system would would allow, and um, and and therefore, uh, you know, not being mindful of the fact that uh, the people that you need to pull with you and that you need to work with would not be embracing newness in the same pace and the same way as as you do. So then, I tended to just try to push uh, my ways. So. You know, without using a specific example, I know in one of the places I, I've led where I've done such a thing and um, including um, actually, but I can mention it. So at the Green Building Council, um, we were mainly looking at transforming the built environment and transforming the way buildings and properties are designed. And I sat back and said, but guys, the biggest property owner in the country is government. Yeah, you know it's uh, but uh, it looks like even in the portfolios that we have, whilst a few government departments would have moved on in their certifications and all that, we haven't really brought the whole of government with us. And probably it was driven by my background of having been in in government. So I was blindsided by the fact that I'm dealing mainly with private sector. My board is mainly private sector, and 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 therefore they do not have the basis that I'm coming from. So I think pushing too hard in saying, look, we are going full force, we are bringing that, and we are signing this particular agreement, groundbreaking, I feel when I look back, I would have probably lost some of my people along the way. Um, So really got my fingers bent and uh, learned Really, the lesson I took from that is that, okay, Dora Hankton, uh, you need to listen more and you need to suss out your your, your environment more before you then uh, forge ahead with certain issues. But I think the big wins for me when I look back and, and really in each space that I have occupied, I've started and creating new things that I always look back in awe at how they've even managed to maintain them over the years. So the big uh, kick for me is just that pride of saying here is something different. I know where it started. You know, I was there uh, uh, at that coffee shop 
where I sat with someone and said, let us do this. So planted the seed and see it growing and see many, many more um, skilled and passionate people coming in into it. Um, so two examples come to mind. The you know when I was at a national environmental affairs when we were designing so it was soon after the the whole economic crisis the whole green economy issue was coming mm. on the table, and um and I was part of leading the whole sustainable development discussions, and I sat in 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 a session with um I think it's Dr Chantel Naidu now who's um still in climate financing. We were saying, but we look at our positions and we're talking about this green economy and all that, but there's no clear financing facility that has to deal with it. And we started conceptualizing the National Green Fund and we worked on it, pushed doors, had meetings. It's still in place at the moment. And I look back and I'm like, wow, these guys, and now you've got quite a number of people that are running this program and it's working. So for me, that is the main uh, key to see that, oh, actually, even though um, sometimes new things might not be attractive when you start them, if you really um, work thoroughly on them, conceptualize them clearly, bring in proper partners on board, because really I am also one person that believe that you can never do something alone, especially if something that needs meaningful change. So bringing the right passionate people on board, it really gets it to fruition such that we change the landscape of what we would have thought um, sustainability is all about. And, and that's what it's all about, really, the future generation. So in for me, in the next 50 years, I hope I'll still be here, but let's say 100, because I know definitely I won't be here in 100 years. So in the next 100 years, whatever we start him and whatever we do now should still be relevant and should still um, be driving continuous change towards a better world. And, and that is what it's it's all about. Um, very, very often people... Um, do things because, okay, let me start something. I need to make money. I need to bring or manifest something. My personal philosophy is that, you know, do the right thing and do what feels right for yourself. And the money and the riches, all those things will follow. They will just fall into, into place. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I like that part that uh, you just put one foot in front of the other, the money's going to come. Um, mm. Just moving on a little bit, uh, I'm always fascinated uh, how our beginnings, our humble beginnings, impact where we get to. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how it all started for you? I know you're now a guru in the sector. You are a trailblazer. You've started some things. You're making them happen. Uh, but how did it start? And what attracted you to be in this field? Okay, yeah. So let me start uh, from early childhood. I think age, age of eight when I first... Um, so my story is similar to most um, African children, <laughs> 
in that, you know, I grew up, I think up to eight in the rural areas with my aunts, a lot of cousins, whilst our mothers, mothers were working somewhere. Um, and I, in when I turned eight, then when my mother came to collect us from the rural areas um, in, in Northwest, you know, it's lush places and everything is just fine. You don't need money in rural areas. It's just, things just happen. Um, and uh, I think it was in 1982, she collected us to go live with her in Harangua, the township. I was excited when I got on that bus. When I arrived there, the disappointment I had, you know, when you are in rural areas and they tell you about these townships and da da da, you know, in our language, you say, you know, <laughs> I know, I understand. Yeah. I expected. So I get there and it's like this, you know, our typical matchbox houses that are stacked. So there is no space, there's no plants, no room to breathe. The house is overcrowded. And I felt, is this what they mean by urban areas? So at the time, I didn't understand that actually I missed the nature part of it and, and all that. But in anyway, fast forward to uh, when I needed to go to for tertiary education. So I always knew I liked nature. So I followed the science um, field, science, maths, biology subjects and so forth. So my mother was just hell-bent that I'm going to be a nurse. <laughs> she applied for me. They took me to, I was supposed to go to Galafong Hospital in Atridgeville. They even showed me my dormitory. Everything was sorted. And I I got back home. I was supposed to pack my suitcases and go the next day. And I felt there is no way I'm going to be a nurse because really I cry when I see people bleed. So a friend of mine was going to the, it was called the Technicon then the next day. So I just went with her. And I thought, I need to study something here, something. <laughs> Looked around. At first, I thought I was going to do, I went with her to write a psychometric for journalism. So I was going to do journalism. Oh. Yeah, in the middle of that test, um, they are asking me, like, you know, I remember there was a question about Felicia Mabuza, what does she, and I knew nothing about those things. I literally ran out, out of an, an, an psychometric test room, you know, when the invigilator walked there and I was behind him, I just ran out, went back to the application center and just stood around and saw a board written environmental health. I promise you, I didn't know what it was about, but I thought <laughs> environmental, wow, I love that part. Health, okay. The health part will satisfy my mom because she wants me to be a nurse. So I went and luckily when I got to the desk, they were taking a group of people for psychometric. I just joined the line and wrote. I promise you, the whole of my first year, I didn't know what I was doing. When people asked, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing environmental health. It's about the health of the environment. That's all. And um, I think into third year, that's when I really started, you know, because you mature through your studies, um, really liking the space and the fact that actually this is more about, I mean, environmental health is a primary healthcare kind of a field. So environmental stressors and how they impact on um, human health. And I really love the issue of uh, epidemiology of communicable diseases, cholera, malaria, da, 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 how you deal with those issues. So I, I, I must say, really, I grew into the space and really, um, I worked in environmental health for only two years and really liked that field stuff, the cholera outbreaks and so forth. But my real um, 
enlightenment moment um, happened when I joined Vets Technicon at the time. It's now UJ. So two years into my professional life, and I was just taking chances there because I was working in Limpopo. I wanted to come back home to Gauteng. And I applied, I applied for this junior lecturer position. I still cannot forget uh, this man. And I actually had a meeting with him the other day and, and told him, Professor Andre Swart, he was then the head of Department for Environmental Health. And I must say, in my earlier years, I was really groomed by, by men. And, and white men, even in, 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 in Limpopo. And I always tell the story because there is this misconception. And um, also sometimes very, very often we alienate because in the name of freedom and all that, rather than learning from them. I really think he took a gamble. And that's, it's only in recent years that I had the honest discussion with him to say, but actually you took a gamble with me. And he did say yes. And actually, after the interviews, my I was told that I was on my own <laughs> with this decision I made. And I said, you know, it's and and I am not shy to admit. Then I was, you know, what they call in these days a project. I was a project transformation yeah. project. But this man took my hand, and and he was focusing on waste management, air quality, water quality issues, environmental pollution factors and said, look, for the first six months, you are just going to, as a junior lecturer, to come to my classes with me. Mm. After my classes, we will sit and talk around it and all that. And the next six months, you will start and take over my classes. And I did that and I shadowed uh, this man and he would sit with me and take me through um how he prepares and all that. And that's the model I had taken. And when I got to a point where I was able to give classes, the confidence was there. And he only attended one or two classes where I was lecturing. And after that, he said, you're fine. Go along, do your thing. And for me at that time, he really uh, engraved in me the love for environmental quality, environmental protection. And I guess most of it had to do with the passion that he had and the time that he gave to me, So, and which I appreciated. And the biggest part of me was, I don't want to disappoint this man. And I, I you know, when I reflect on it, I'm like, it's also coming, stemming from the fact that, you know, I grew up without a father. Mm. So, Whenever in my life I had this father figure who gave me such attention, it was an experience I would cherish and I still cherish. So my move from then on was, I'm not going to disappoint this man. I'm going to get this thing right. And and yeah, so I think those are my humble beginnings. And um, I think I grew from strength to strength there. Um, and uh, in with my further studies, even by the way, with the, so I got the Mandela Scholarship when I was at VETS to go study at Sussex for my master's degree. When I, he gave me that advert for the scholarship and said, you are applying and I'm going to help you get a sabbatical so that you go and do your master's degree. And uh, I went through the application. He reviewed my applications and it went through and, and, and I succeeded. But also being out there, and it was at the time I completed in 2002, at the time of the WSSD, the World Summit on Sustainable mm. Development. So a lot of our studies were focusing a lot on this whole sustainable development regime that was coming on board. And being in, in, in such an institution, I, I, I was also exposed to students from different 
corners of the world. Really, it was my first experience of really learning that there are and the environment sector and environment environmental sustainability is so interconnected that it's not just about me and my selfish interests within my country. Mm. So uh, then the passion grew for me from just about managing and uh, reducing pollution to the interconnectivity between nations and the, the whole political economy and the imbalances that exist, which then drove that passion for me that says, how do we create uh, the balances, not just with other countries, but within our country where we have such huge divides between the haves and have-nots, but the environmental factors we are exposed to, whilst they are the same, the impact is so different. And therein lies the whole sustainability factor where you bring in those social and economic elements. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to this uh, project, uh, you being a project. <laughs> and and I, I, um, I don't know if you've reflected on this yourself, just listening to it is that you could be a transformation project, but a lot of it, at least that's my view, is is about what you want and yeah. how you then show up as a project. Because mm-hmm. you can you can invest in someone, uh, as they say, you know, this proverbial, you can take a horse to the river, but you mm-hmm. can't force it to drink. So there must have been something in you that actually was receptive to being a project. And are you have you been able to get in touch with that something and share with the people listening? What is that thing that made you to be receptive to all of these other things, shadowing, lecturer, lecturing, going abroad to study, and so on and so on? Yeah, I think for me and from early on in my life, I've always been driven by a need to effect change, change in whatever space I occupy. So uh, my drive and the flame that continues to to burn inside of me is one that says I can't enter into a room or into a space, and when when I leave it, it's, things are still the same. Um, I haven't changed anything, and uh, my love also then for nature and. Um, the and my so my love for nature and my I'm looking for the right English word, but disdain sort of for the arrogance of human beings. Yeah, because you know, because I really feel that we have a certain level of arrogance. Yes, we are at the top of the food chain, but we are given so much power, but with used wrongly as it's been used wrongly many, many times, means that it collapses the whole system. So I've always been driven by that need to change whatever space I'm at and also deal with this issue of, okay, let's not be arrogant. And the arrogancy part, Pam, for me, comes in, I think, in my first year at tertiary, we did a subject called ecology. The very first lecture, I don't remember, I don't forget that lecture because it gave me that light bulb moment of, you know, the why part of it. The whole principle of ecology that says everything is connected to and interconnected with everything else. You know, the law of connectivity. So I said, okay, if I'm connected to that worm, that is on my garden, 
you know? So how do I then make sure that, and, and I'm using the worm as a bland kind of an example, because that lesson was all about that the whole food chain thing from the worm to the grass and to the plants that we eat and, and, and all that, all the way to us human that would consume whatever is underneath us. I then said, but then can't I then be here with, in my infinite wisdom as a human being, can't my existence be about maintaining and retaining that interconnectivity? Mm. Why is it that I would exist to destroy any part of that balance of what life is supposed to be and supposed to look like? And that is what then brought my love for this and what I loved entering the space, even the, the, the environmental health space, the lecturing space, any other spaces in, in sustainability. It's all about let's make sure that we leave whatever area better than we found it. So if it's um, right now I'm in the waste sector and we are trying to really ensure that whatever it is that people produce and release out there into the environment is retained in the system such that we do not pollute, we do not damage, we do not um, you know, do this and the other such that whoever comes after me, my great-grandchildren, are still able to enjoy what I'm enjoying today. So for me, and, and I've, I, I've, I've gone um, all around in explaining this, but the flame in me has been, let's change the system. Let me change wherever I am at. And in the change that I'm making, it's always going to be uh, around this issue of connectivity of nature and humans. Mm. Interesting. I'm going to move the discussion a little bit to the women's space. Okay. Uh, the podcast is for women in the, in um, and, uh, who are champions, women like yourself, uh, in, um, in, in championing environmental change. So in your view, now wearing your woman hat, um, what are the main issues facing women in the sector today? Yeah, so um, so the main issues remain, um, I think, uh, women, we have enough women in the leadership space within the environment sector, but the main issue is that we, women who then get to be at that space, start emulating the masculine energy. So the main issue is that whilst we are trying to transform the space, we are not transforming it in that feminine way that would allow for me as a woman to hold the hand of the next woman. Once mm. I've arrived there, it's like now I've arrived, I will uh, continue with whoever is in the space. It is still male dom dominated. So we are trying to match up rather than creating our own paths as women. The other issue uh, here is that there's still boxes in terms of how far women can go. So the environment and sustainability sector for many years had been viewed as, you know, your softer kind of a skill issue. Whilst there's, there, there, there's also areas where it's, it's hard issues. You can run large corporation, corporates as um, as an environment specialist, but 
for the fact that you were just always viewed as a specialist, you will always be left at that corner where all you can do is to advise and write sustainability reports and this and this and that. So women that are in the space are still unable to to break, I think, even beyond uh, middle management to the mm. top echelons of, of management. Most of us women in this sector, we are too passionate, might I say. And because of our level of passionate, we gravitate to one corner where we seek to forever specialize. Oh, and therefore not move further in terms of uh, running corporations and starting new um, business ventures, which can exist and can work. So for example, Adora will move from a master's to being a PhD to being a whatever, and therefore remains forever a waste specialist. Now, uh, men who our counterpart males have managed to still retain the sustainability space, but at the same time, move further beyond being a specialist. I face that a lot in, in my space where I've been viewed. And, and sometimes I, I actually, <laughs> yeah, I had a point where it drove me a bit to, to depression where I would get um, overlooked for certain positions and functions where I feel actually I can pour and apply myself and run this organization because I'm a leader in my own right. But because of what I've built over the years, those above me see me as a specialist that must always advise and mm. write technical documents um, and be on the field. There is nothing wrong with that, but I need to make space for other ladies uh, coming uh, behind me. So therefore allow me to then go and, and lead um, organizations. So the leadership space for women in the environment um, sector is still um, a bit of a misnomer. Uh, we are struggling to get to that particular position. I mean, I have been um, fortunate and, and grateful to have run a first the Green Building Council, now at the PRO Alliance, but it's still non-profit organizations that the niche area is sustainability. Therefore, my leadership role very much attached to that specialization kind of um, of, of a space. So I would really uh, push for more ladies, yes, to also still, lead, still specialize, but then strive to lead organizations also that are in the space that still allows you to, to, to nurture your, your passion. So we need, Pam, uh, whilst we've tried over the years to build a whole women in the environment platforms and, and all that, but we need um, deliberate leadership um, programs and leadership um, initiatives that would assist in bringing women in the environment space out of their, you know, that specialist kind of uh, an area. So, and a lot of other, and I've been observing a lot of other professions, they have really succeeded in doing that. Mm. Um, the environment ones started, but they still exist in their very miniature, like one conference a year kind of a, a thing. And we say it's women in environment, but we don't have a deliberate program that takes women through um, some form of a 
and excellence um, in in leadership uh, in environmental leadership um, programs that would bring them up. So I've um, I hate uh, sentiments and discussions. You know the traditional women and gender discussions. Hey, we women men are leaving us out, and uh, no, it's for me. It's not about the males. Let's allow males to do what they do best. But what can we do for ourselves? Um, those that have that, that are ahead of us uh, and leading and excelling. What can they do to then assist some of us that are still coming? What can we do where we are to then assist and pull up those that are are, are looking up? To, to ourselves. And really, I put myself out there to be one of those that work on, on such initiatives. When I was at Environmental Affairs, I really started that program, the whole, you probably remember it, the Women in Environment program. I do. I do. You know, it's one that I look back to it and I see now it's mainly a, a conference Mm, mm. Um, it hasn't really grown to what one would have envisaged it uh, to, to become. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, it's an interesting uh, observation. It's an observation that I do share. Uh, part of the uh, drive behind the podcast is to start looking at oh, uh, opening up the envelope a little bit. And I like the point that you're making about what are those pathways and what do we need to be doing in making sure that those pathways for women from being specialists and still being passionate about being a specialist and being a leader of an organization in the sector, uh, what what is that? What is that journey? And uh, and and how do we become? I think your most takeaway point for me, and how do we become intentional in doing so? Because it mm-hmm. can easily turn into, like you say, an annual conference. And there's nothing else that happens and nothing else comes out on the other side. Um, great insights for me uh, in that regard. So if I was a young woman listening to you today, what would be one or two things that you would advise me? Look, I would say um, start start where you are at the moment by uh, firstly, defining, and it's not easy, but it can. It's doable, you know. Spend time with yourself and define and find out what makes you tick. Mm. And it's not just about what you love; it's also about what you what irritates you, what really drives you mad, because that might be the fire that you need, because that might be the itch that you need to solve in this world. Then once you've identified that, use whatever resources you have at your disposal. And and very often when we talk about resources, people think money. It's not about money. Hey, call people for coffee. Have meetings. I've really gotten a lot in my life through conversations. So start with what you have. Do based on the each you would have identified. Do a bit of an a, a stakeholder mapping to say, okay, who is, who is a who, who's the, who's the who's the person in the space that can make a difference? Let me go have conversations with these people, and do whatever you can to get to where you want to be. Without a, we've been taught, and and I'm still trying to unlearn that thing. We've been taught as girls that we have to to exercise restraint mm. and not 
approach people and not ask for stars. Let's deal with it. You know, do whatever you can. Go and ask. Be an irritant. Because maybe after irritating three people, the fourth one will hear you out and be able to, to get you to where you want. You will never get what you want by just sitting there. We keep on saying, no, there are no opportunities. And opportunities don't just happen. You create your own opportunity. It won't just come whilst you, you are sitting. So that's what I would say really to, to a young girl. You start wherever you are at the moment. Use whatever you have and do whatever you can do to mm. get to where you want to be. Mm, Obviously, yeah. nothing illegal. Do whatever you want to do. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Yeah. And then, um, just bringing our discussions to a close. One or two questions left is one is what keeps you motivated? I know you spoke you spoke about change and the passion and the need for change. And is there anything else that keeps you at a practical daily basis? You wake up in the morning and that keeps you going. Look, what keeps me going at the moment every day is is my children. Honestly, it's it's my children. Um I would wake up, yes, uh, take some time to to pray for them, but I fear for my children. Mm. Based on where we are in, in many aspects, uh but mainly even when you look at the space that I'm at in terms of sustainability, we don't know the kind of world we will have in 20, 30 years. And they will be the adults at that time. So I fear I fear for them. Uh, and therefore, that's what drives me to say, look, let me make an impact and do whatever best I can do to make it easier for them. Obviously, easier from a financial perspective, but an easier in terms of the difference I would have made out there and whatever input I would have given to make sure that the country is, is much better. Pam, let me digress a bit here and say, you know, I was quite upset and it's still on the part of the children. The other day, my seven-year-old comes to the comes home from school and says, Mama, Mrs. So-and-so, his teacher, says he's leaving the country. I said, oh, okay, that's that's nice. Uh, he's immigrating. Yes, you know, but she says she's leaving a country because this country has gone so bad. This is a seven-year-old. And um, so that also struck the chord for me that says, and I had to give this little child a, a big lesson because I'm a very, I'm very patriotic when it comes to my country. Yes, we've got so many problems, but... Uh, we can do something about it. So, and I don't want my children to grow up with that notion that, you know, we are in such a bad and messed up country. Therefore, let me also be messed up because that's really what uh, what kills them as well. So anyway, we are messed up. There's no, no other hope. So for me, the fear for my children, obviously, and their peers and whoever they would be living with um, gets me to wake up every day. And, and do what I do. And um, I would really appeal to those um, and, and uh, that in leadership, in wherever, to say, really, I think we are on the other side of, um, of, of life, but those that are coming after us need to really have a better space to operate and to live in. Mm, awesome. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been a very enlightening experience uh, the conversation.
I I hope as we were talking, you know, what, what happens with these things, you also find out things about myself. Did I just say that? Uh, I hope <laughs> yes. you had those moments in that in this conversation. Um mm-hmm. when I was reading your bio, um, um I I read um this is I assume you wrote this that you said uh, you are sustainable you are a sustainability expert. I do wanna having listened to you. I want to add a couple of other accolades there, like change and systems engineer, because you you kept on keeping uh, going back to um, uh, to the issue of uh, uh, change and being a change and agent. But I also mm-hmm. I think you are also a, a motivational leader for up and coming women um, that um, that if they listen to you, are the kind of things that you've done. Um, also helps them with their pathways, their own growth or pathways. But what I found very fascinating, and and um, and and I don't know, you might want to comment on this, is how perceptive you were or you are in terms of your own journey, the things that you, uh, the mistakes you made, and how you learned from those, the lessons you've uh, you've developed, and and what still needs to be done. Um, yeah. uh, so, so I, I mean, I took a lot out of this conversation. I could mine it, and I, I could mine a lot, and I'm sure then our listeners will do. And uh, is there anything else that you want to say as your parting shot? Yeah, um, <clears throat> no, I really enjoyed the conversation, uh, Pam. Thank you. It, it it feels like it was so short. Um, I really enjoyed it, and you're correct. Um, it really gave me a moment to to reflect um, and realize even the things I probably didn't say that, you know, actually um, there's a lot that still needs to be done that I can still do um, and uh, that um, life is a, a, a learning journey <clears throat> and one can never say that uh, you you've arrived, but whilst you can't, you can't cease to then assess those that are coming. So I grew up and have have really tried to deal with this perception of being not good enough. So I have that and I still live with it. It comes back every once in, in a while that says, you know, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not good enough for that. I still enter into spaces where I, get, I, I suffer from that whole imposter syndrome that, no, I don't belong. And, and therefore, one needs to learn to embrace more because I find myself arguing with other people. So as I listened to you now talking about you know motivational leader, in my head, I'm like, you're kidding. I'm, I'm not motivational. <laughs> <laughs> so there is still a lot of that uh, that one needs to, to deal with. I do not take um, compliments easily. In, in, in my life. But then it's got its good and bad. The good part is that it's always driven me to do more because I always feel that what I, I'm doing is not good enough. Therefore, I, I need to do more of it. But then it's also adding to my um, exhaustion because I'm forever exhausted because mm. I'm just chasing the next best, best thing or to be better that, than, 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 than I am. So thank you very much for this opportunity to, to then mm. reflect. And really, it's an aspect that one continues to live with. And I'm saying this um, because I want, if there are younger ladies listening, um, I want them to also realize that, you know, even if you're a CEO of so-and-so, 
there are developmental areas. So it's mm. going to continue on and on. So one must never, I've seen people that have closed that door of development that think they've arrived and I've seen them fall badly. So there is nothing more painful than knowing that you do not know. Uh, no, not knowing, not knowing that you do not know. It's better to know that you do not know. But if you don't know that you don't know, then it's 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 horrible. A lot of wrong things um, happen. So such conversations, Pam, for me, uh, I think they are more of a learning curve for me than than the next person. So I really appreciate the platform. Okay, thank you, Amanda. That's one thing as a platform but uh, uh, part of the plan uh, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point to also have these conversations um, with other women and uh, not in a one way kind of way like we yeah. having but uh, create the platform for women on the pla- on the on 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 the continent um, in various spaces to talk about these things and interact and engage in a spirit of sisterhood as we're trying to make sure that we do something better for the planet and uh, and for those that will come after us, whilst remaining uh, true to ourselves and what we need to survive as individuals. And that is issues around self-care and nurturing your soul and those kinds of things, because we forget that sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, so I've got a few ideas. Um, watch the space. Uh, but once again, thank you very much for your time and uh, have a good day, Feather. So thank you. Thank you very much, Pam.